Please join me in prayer. Father, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I may preach your word faithfully, with confidence and boldness, but in love. Lord, I ask that you would help us all to open our ears to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Jack McNeil. I'm the director of Youth and Families here. Uh, my wife, Jen, and I uh, have been attending Grace Anglican for just over 10 years. And we have four children, ranging from three years old up to 17 years old. Uh, my oldest is my son. He's a senior uh, this year. And he has three younger sisters. I have three daughters, which is ironic because I grew up as the youngest of three older sisters. And so I like to say that my sisters taught me how to be in touch with my feelings, and their guy friends gave me lots of wedgies. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's a, it is a privilege to come to you this morning with God's word. Our proverb this morning is, is a bit complex. Uh, due to the, na- the contentious nature of physical discipline, or some would say corporal punishment. Um, An argument could be made that this phrase, the the rod of discipline, could be a figure of speech. But that's probably not likely the original intent of the author. There are plenty of other proverbs that mention physical discipline in other verses as well. But let's remember, this is a proverb. And a proverb is not a specific instruction, nor is it a promise. It is a short, wise saying that conveys a general truth. And so the challenge here is not only just to be obedient to God's word, but to rightfully and consistently interpret it and apply it, which is why uh, James says that teachers will be held to a stricter account. And it is at this point that I wish I could turn it over to Luke to finish the rest of the sermon, but I will continue. I also want to acknowledge that among all of you who are here this morning, those of you who are watching online, there are some of you that when you hear this verse, you may think back to your childhood, and this is a painful memory. You may have suffered physical abuse at the hands of a parent, or a guardian. And then there are those of you who look back with thanksgiving, thinking back as how your parent or guardian disciplined you. And so I just want to say from the outset, my desire is to be faithful to the text, to speak carefully, and I invite you to ask the Lord to speak to your heart. A girl was watching her mother do the dishes in the kitchen, and she noticed a few strands of white hair that stood out in contrast to her mother's brunette head. And so she inquisitively asked, Mom, where did those white strands come from? And her mother said, Well, whenever you do something foolish and it makes me sad or unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. So the daughter pondered over this revelation for a while, and then she said, Mama, how come all of Grandma's hairs are all white? (laughs) 
folly or foolishness is something that we can all relate to, regardless of our age, regardless of whether we're parents or not. We can think of our own folly when we were young. We can think of uh, our children's folly if we are parents. We can think of other people's children's folly. Today, we can get on the Internet and read an article about the folly of a child. I think of how we look at little children, and when we see them do something foolish, it's not uncommon for us to laugh at it. I remember when my son, who I had permission to share this story with, was with you, uh, when he was four years old, he was laying on the floor with his newly infant sister, Brielle, who shared uh, the scripture reading this morning. And he was hitting a hammer right next to her head. Now, this was a toy plastic hammer, but it was a hammer nonetheless. And he was just hitting it literally right next to her head. And, and I was across the room, and when I looked up and I saw him doing this, I said, Brendan, please don't do that. That's not safe. And my son very quickly said, Dad, I'm being careful. <laughs> and I think that's a good way to explain how our culture looks at folly. Even as adults, I'm carefully being foolish. So what does Solomon mean when he says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child? Well, it may surprise you to know that the Hebrew word for child in this proverb uh, can explain an individual who ranges from the age of infancy all the way up through late teenage years, and some would even argue into the 20s. The same word is used to describe Joseph when he was 17 years old. It was used to describe David when Saul told David, you are not fit to battle against Goliath because you are just a child, a youth. We don't picture David as a four-year-old with his sling. But it was also used to describe Moses when he was an infant crying in the basket in the Nile River. And so I think the point is not to determine the precise age that Solomon is referring to here in this proverb. The point is, we are all born into folly. It is entangled in our hearts, and time doesn't make it go away. So what is folly? When I first read this verse, and I looked up folly, the definition said foolish. And I said, well, that's really helpful. And when I thought of foolishness, the first word that actually came to my mind is silly. And in fact, there is a paraphrase, a modern paraphrase that says, for the first half of this proverb, children just do silly, careless things. But folly is much more than that. In the Old Testament, and particularly here in Proverbs, it has a much more grave connotation. It is used 25 times in the Old Testament, the word used here. Now, there's a few words to describe fool and foolish, but folly here is used 25 times in the Old Testament. 23 of them are in Proverbs. So we have a very good idea of what Solomon means 
when he says folly. First, I want to say that folly is depicted as the exact opposite of wisdom. It is the opposite of understanding and prudence. Folly is described as being arrogant. It desires autonomy as opposed to submission to the fear of the Lord. Folly says the wrong things at the wrong time, and it gets in trouble for it. Do you know anyone like that? Folly is short-sighted. It fully manages time, energy, and money. One proverb says that it is less dangerous to meet a bear who just had its cubs stolen from her than to meet a fool in his folly. One author writes, the choice between wisdom and folly is presented as the most fundamental and most crucial decision to be made in life, particularly by the young. And Solomon says, it is this folly that is bound up, entangled in the heart of a child. The imagery here is joined together like that of a knit or the joints of a wall. There's room to expand and contract, but there is no separating of what is joined together. Interestingly, the word is also translated conspire in other places in the Old Testament. And so the image I immediately had was of my three-year-old daughter, Abigail. And when we go to the soccer field, and my son's playing out in the field, my younger daughters love to play with an empty net behind us as we're trying to sit and watch the game. And inevitably, each of my daughters and my son, when they were little, they're playing, they love to play around the net. I don't know what it is about the net, but they play around the net, and inevitably they get tangled up in the net, so much that they can't even get themselves untangled from it. And so they have to call my wife or I to come over and help them get out. And guess what happens a few minutes later? They get tangled up again. And it's almost as if my child and the net are conspiring. So what is the solution? When you find yourself doing really stupid things, and it's hurting the people that you claim to care about most, what are you to do? What are we to do? Solomon says the solution, the remedy, is the rod of discipline. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, sick it to him. That rod is a useful instrument to inflict pain. And it is. But the rod has a much more robust meaning and, and symbol throughout the Old Testament. We are very familiar with the shepherd and the rod. And in fact, the word rod and staff and scepter are all translated by the same word. The shepherd would use his rod to guide sheep and lead them to water and to green pasture. It would also be used to correct the sheep when they were wandering off, or as we like to say in New Jersey, off. It was used to protect the sheep and to protect the shepherd. A rod was used by a traveler to aim them, uh, to aid them as they would have to navigate difficult terrain. It's 
no different than how we use canes today. And one symbol of a rod that we don't often think about is that of authority. Moses comes to mind, of course, but also Jesus is spoken of in Revelation as ruling one day with a rod of iron. And it is this symbol of authority that gives us the greatest uh, um, symbol of a rod, and that is God's comfort. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. One author said it best. He says, God's authority over death brings comfort to those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And so the rod is not just an instrument to inflict pain. It is much more robust than that. So what about discipline? When I think of the word discipline, if someone were to ask you, how would you define discipline? The words mental toughness come to mind, grit. And when I thought longer about it, I said, well, discipline is also the ability to restrain yourself, uh, to deny yourself the permission to indulge in something. And that would fit, but discipline really in the Old Testament, and particularly here in Proverbs, has a very different meaning. It is actually a virtual synonym with wisdom. It is the firm correction and instruction that we receive from the Lord, which makes it the perfect, perfect antidote for folly. While it hurts, it's not retributive. It is not punitive. Discipline is not the same as punishment. And one author uh, really described this best by saying, discipline is something that looks at something that's happening in the present and desires to correct it for the future. Whereas punishment is something that looks at, at something that happened in the past and it says, you owe me. So the child who is disciplined realizes I made a bad decision, or adult for that matter. The individual who is punished says, I'm a bad person. You see the difference? It stems from love, and it is ministered by God's perfect wisdom for the purpose of developing godly character. And when God entered into covenant with Israel, which was like a, a relational business contract, and through Moses, he was reminding Israel, remember all that I've done for you. Remember how I've delivered you out of slavery. And be sure to follow my commands so that you remain free, untangled. He then goes on to say, but I will still discipline you. And what is the illustration? What is the image that he uses to describe his discipline? Is it the corporate disciplinary procedure? No. Is it the military discipline? No. The image he uses in Deuteronomy 8, verse 5, is that of a father who loves his child. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Discipline stems from love. It aims for the heart, because that's where folly is entangled. So if I were to restate this proverb, I would say diligent discipline 
is as necessary for the training of a child all the way through into their adult years as a rod is for guiding, correcting, protecting sheep. And so what is the application that we can take from this? Well, I want to speak first to parents. Parents, be diligent in the discipline of your children. That is to say, be prepared to do it over and over and over and over again. I know, as, as many of you have experienced or even heard, we would love to think that if we just tell our children even ten times to do something, they will finally listen to us. But how many times does the Lord have to remind us of something we've heard over and over and over again? But he doesn't give up on us. He's invested in us as children. And so if you are that parent that is weary, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to persevere. We cannot do it on our own. And also ask the Holy Spirit to remind you to affirm and praise your children and celebrate with them. The second to parents, I would say, is don't discipline in anger. Actually, this would be true of any of us. We say things and we do things that we later regret when we attempt to discipline in anger. And so I would encourage you, if you end up yelling at your child, or you say something, even in a casual voice, that you know was spoken out of anger, apologize to your children. Let them know that you recognize you lost self-control, which happens to be a fruit of the Spirit. For all of us, I encourage you to be trained by discipline. And what I mean by that is when we think of training our bodies, to discipline our bodies, I honestly can't relate to this very much, but I've watched other people do it very well. <laughs> when we discipline our bodies, it's common to hear people talk about their exercise regimen. I just got back from a 30-mile trek on my bicycle. I just did 100 crunches at the, at the gym. And yet when it comes to talking about the discipline of our soul and how we condition our soul, we tend to keep it to ourselves. We're ashamed to talk about it. We think it's a mark against us. But God says in Hebrews 12, Mike read this last week, no, it is actually a mark that God loves you and that you are his child. Talk about it. You will be aware of the Lord's discipline in your life and share it with your friends. Share it with your spouse. Share it with your children. I would also say that one discipline that I think is really important in our day and age is that of asking questions. We grow up in a culture that says, just tell people what you think. Don't ever ask. But we are never too old to learn. Proverbs 9, 9 says, teach a wise man and he is wiser still. Ask questions. Young people, find wise people and ask them questions. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't be embarrassed to ask. And last, there are those of you who may feel tangled up in folly right now in your life. And you say, Jack, you don't understand. 
I can't get out of this web. I've tried. Well, I want to encourage you. Jesus Christ took your folly to the cross. He took my folly to the cross. And he took upon himself the discipline of his heavenly Father so that he could untangle us. We could be made whole. We could be healed, as you hear Gus say often at the table. We can be saved and delivered from that which entangles us. There is no folly too great for God to untangle you from. So as I close in prayer and we go into our sermon response song, I want you to think of one of my favorite verses. We don't often hear, but it's in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 24. And it says, Discipline me, Lord. In due measure, not in your anger, lest you reduce me to nothing. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you diligently correct us, instruct us, and desire that we would grow in wisdom just as our Lord did. And we confess, God, that even as adults, those of us who are children, we struggle with foolishness, with folly. We struggle with being short-sighted, mismanaging time, saying things we shouldn't say. Lord, we invite you to discipline us. We want to be more like your son. And we thank you that you've committed to us. You've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who will convict us when we are in folly who will remind us of that which you've taught us. And God, we pray that we would respond well to it and we would not reject it. Most of all, Lord, help us to share with one another how you are guiding us, protecting us, correcting us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.